0: Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one scary page of Talmud every day, because today's page, Nazir 44, well, it starts off dark. Have a listen. One might have thought that he may not become impure, a Nazir, that is, to bury a spine or a skull, or to bury most of the skeleton or most of the number of bones of other relatives for whom a priest becomes impure. You say in response, just as his sister is unique in that her body is dependent upon the brother tending to her burial, and he becomes impure to bury a spine or to bury a skull or to bury most of her skeleton or to bury most of her number of bones, So too, with regard to every person whose body is dependent upon him, i.e. his other close relatives, he becomes impure to bury a spine or to bury a skull or to bury most of his skeleton or to bury most of his number of bones. This presents a difficulty for the opinion of Rav that a priest may not become impure to bury any relative whose head has been severed. Wow, this is like something straight out of... Scream or Nightmare on Elm Street, it's horror movie territory, and I am a fan of the genre. And so, because I wanted today's conversation to be as deep and as dark as it can be, I called up one of my favorite thinkers, authors, humans. He is the great Gabrielle Savitt, the author of the National Book Award nominee, but as far as I'm concerned, the National Book Award winner, The Way Back, and just out now. Come see the fair. Two masterpieces, if I may. He may fight me over it, but I don't care. Incredible, incredible books for young adults and adults who are young at heart and adults who aren't, because they are suffused, not only with great big Jewish neshama but also with a sense of kinda darkness. Gabriel Savit, is all of that fair?
1: I mean, I'll take all of it except for the masterpieces. I'm still working over here, man. It can't can't peak too early.
0: I don't know, you could just get on better and better and better. But tell me, uh, the books are dark, and I mean this as the highest compliment I could pay another writer. And they're also very Jewish, which kind of begs the question, given the theme of today's stuff— There's something that we don't usually think about, but that we're reminded of when we read a page of Talmud that's all about, well, you know, you could bury, there may not be enough of your relative left to bury. It may only be some parts of the spine and a few fingers and maybe half a skull if someone's head was severed. A reminder that we live in a dark and and troubled world, which is something that I think Judaism doesn't get enough credit for teaching us. Do you agree with that? Does that permeate your own sense of understanding of the world in writing?
1: Well, I think so. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons that I like to play around in in dark sandboxes, so to speak, (laughs) is that when I was a young person reading young people's literature, that was the stuff that was interesting. Those were the secrets that the adults were keeping that you still knew. We're out there, right? You know, just because adults don't talk about these things doesn't mean they're not occurring. And kids definitely know that. Uh, So that, you know, that felt like where the fun secrets were at. And I think in this da, we see a particular sort of very Jewish attitude towards death. It's not, no one's turning their head away, right? We have this leitmotif of the different pieces of skeleton that constitute a significant enough portion of human remains uh, that a Nazir or a priest would uh, you know become impure for the skull, the spine, the majority of the skeleton and distinctly from the majority of the skeleton, the majority of numbers of bones, which obviously is two different notions right like if you have like between the clavicle and the knees like that's the physical majority but if you just have some random assortment of bones you know from like the hands and feet that make up the numerical, Majority, that is also a significant enough portion of of human remains. But the point here is that there are distinct lines that are drawn because life is suffused. We think about these uh, halochos, particularly as they regard to priests, you know, you don't become impure by coming into contact with death, not because priests need to be insulated from death all the time, on the contrary, because priests in the context of, you know, temple Judaism are surrounded the time. Literally their, their whole job all the time is to make animal sacrifices and to deal with blood and to deal with meat and to deal with innards and fat. And so it makes not an insulation from death, but a separation from holy death, so to speak, and profane death, so to speak, and of course there are these particular exceptions who uh, relies on you for the dignity of burial in your close circle.
0: I love that so much. You know, th- this reminds me of, of something that I read back in a period of my life I would rather not remember, known as grad school. Uh, it was this piece by this French thinker named Georges Bataille, who, who I'm sure you, you know. Uh, he wrote that civilization basically went downhill. The moment we took the abattoir, the slaughterhouse out of the center of the town. He said, as long as you don't see the act of slaughter, as long as it's not part of your daily life, a reminder of this natural terribleness, right, of of life and death and carnage, as long as you see that, you're a normal rooted person. The moment you take death outside and start making it something that is kind of theorized and feared and unseen and misunderstood, that's the moment it has these irrational sways on you. I think that Duff today, hearing you explain it to me, does something kind of similar, no?
1: I agree with you, and I agree with Patai as well. I think I might construct it in a slightly different way. I think we've really lost something as human beings in that we no longer live with Livestock. Uh, most of us, you know, we, may, we may have pets, dogs and cats, but these are are different sorts of animals because we really, we anthropomorphize them very much, right? We we treat them and consider them like humans in many ways, as opposed to working animals and, uh, frankly, food animals. You know, for all of human history until about a century ago, human beings were. Intimately connected with their animals in their day to day lives, the animals that they would kill to eat on feast days. You know what I mean? It was not abstract. You knew the expression, you knew the personality of that animal often. And so there was real meaning to the death. It wasn't just, you know, yet another unseen commercial asset. That comes out of some furious processing facility that you buy wrapped in plastic at the uh, at the market. That is that is a meaningless death to a certain extent, whereas for much of human history, the deaths that we decided we were willing to embrace uh, were considered and textured and in many ways sort of human.
0: Gabriel Savit, author, thinker, philosopher, great Jew. Thank you so much as ever, for being our guest.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Leo.
0: This has been Take One. If you enjoyed the show, and I hope that you do, please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts and get your Take One Merch, T-shirts, mugs, and other great stuff at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi.